preaching time. And I hope I hope we pray regular. I know many of you talk to me often and say, Pastor, we pray for you. But uh, I long for God's power. And uh, there are times that we sense that God is doing something in the preaching. And I, there are times I sense that and can tell and, and, and realize that something's happening. There are times that it's not quite as powerful or strong as it seems to be. And uh, I hope and pray that we regularly pray for the preaching of God's Word, not just because I'm the one up here doing it, but for God to do something in our hearts. Folks, church is more than just coming for a sermon. It really is. It, it's, it's, it's beyond that. It's, it's for God to do something. And I hope we come expectant to the services. Uh, I grew up in a pastor's home, and I know all uh, there is to know, trust me, on this. I know all there is to know about becoming apathetic or going through the routine. And you just don't seem like you're getting as much out of it as you used to. I, I know exactly what it's like to sit and we used to sit right over here about where Brother Norm or Miss June, somewhere in that area in our church. I know what it is to sit there and listen the whole way through the message and be still as a young man and leave the building and not know what the pastor preached. Been there. It's sad to say, and a lot of times when we deal with stuff, uh, even today, there's a lot of folks that if you asked them 10 or 15 minutes after the message, well, what did the pastor preach on? I've heard... Heard people even in our church uh, telling somebody they meet at lunch or supper, boy, we sure had a great service tonight. And they'd say, well, what, what was the message about? Well, and then they start stumbling. But it was a great service. <laughs> and I speak that to our shame. Uh, when God does something, it ought to be unforgettable. And it ought to be life-changing. And when we come to hear the Word of God preached. I hope we come expecting God to do something. And uh, <laughs> there are things time to time that are very heavy on my heart and I can't always share them with folks. But uh, I want you to listen carefully tonight. And I, I, I pray that God will allow it to come across and be able to be understood. Uh, there are times when, sometimes when <clears throat> a burden is on my heart, it's difficult for me to express it and get it across. But something that definitely has been, um, for quite a while now, has been a burden on my heart. I want us to look, if you will, in Matthew chapter number 8. <clears throat> Uh, we'll begin reading in verse number 23. And when he entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Father, we come to you tonight, and I pray that you'll do a work in our hearts.
And Lord, I need you tonight, and our people need you tonight. I pray that you'll do your work. May you use us as you would see fit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I began going to church when I was uh, a negative nine months old. Uh, From the time my mother uh, knew that she was pregnant with me, well, even before then, when she was pregnant with me, we began to go to church. There's some science out there that believes that the uh, fetuses can hear once they develop their ears and they're beginning to absorb sounds that they know and... uh, I don't know about all that. All I know is my dad piped in the church services into the nursery. Not just for the nursery workers, but he wanted the babies to hear it too. And his mindset was that they needed to hear the Word of God from the time they're old enough to have ears to hear. That's what the Bible says anyway. And uh, I grew up in a, in a church and, and didn't understand things as a young kid. Obviously, it's you're still trying to come to grips with... Um, trying to talk and trying to walk and motor skills and you don't really understand scripture in its depths and when I was about four maybe maybe close to five years old I, I don't remember the exact date or time I saw a bunch of folks coming to the altar after the services and our back in those early days the altars seemed to always be filled with people and uh, my mom would stand there and I would stand there and I remember as a kid thinking why aren't we going forward? I mean, everybody else gets to move. Here I am, a five-year-old kid. I just sat through five-hour sermon. And, I mean, I was itching, trying to move all the time. And Mom would take me out sometimes and give me a whipping in the middle of the service. And, boy, that was embarrassing. And come back in and sit down, tears streaming down my face. And I'd sit down there. And all these other people get to get up and move, but not me. I had to sit there. And I remember one night kind of poking and nudging her like, Mom, let's go up there. And I I vividly remember that. I remember standing there watching that happen. And she she nodded her head and told me just be still, stay there, you know. We got home later that night, and I remember she called me into her room, and we were talking. She wanted to know why I wanted to go to the altar. I said, well, I don't know. Why do they go to the altar? You know, it looked like fun to me. I didn't have to sit under any more my dad preaching. And I said, well, whatever the reason they're going for. And so she's trying to explain to me why they were coming to the altar. And we got done. I remember her saying, would you like to pray? And I said, yes. And so to me it was fun. It was like make-believe. You know how you do when you're a kid? You play cops and robbers with your little finger pistol and sticks, you know. And we made the bed, the altar, and I thought, this is pretty neat. I get to kneel down like everybody else. And we knelt down, and my mom had me pray a prayer, and I repeated it after her. And she was all excited. She told my dad, and I thought, boy, if I'd known this, I'd have wanted to go early in the service a lot earlier than this. You know, dad was excited, mom was excited. And then I got to go in the baptistry. And man, for a five-year-old kid, that was awesome. We didn't have a swimming pool. And I was excited about that. I remember getting baptized. And this is neat. I wondered how many times I could do this every Sunday. And mom and dad said, nope, just once. Just once. I remember growing up, and whenever people would talk about being saved, I'd say, yeah, I'm saved. 
My mom, my mom prayed with me when I was younger. <clears throat> I remember, I remember that time. There was a period of time when I was about ten and a half, maybe eleven years old, that uh, I started having some doubts about it. There was, I didn't have the the joy that other people had in our church. I didn't. I couldn't understand that there were people who actually wanted a five-hour message and listened to it. I didn't understand that. To me, it was mom and dad made us go. You know, we were <clears throat> never discussed whether we went to church or not. My dad was a pastor. As Mark Lowry said one time, if if the janitor was going to clean the windows on Thursday night, our family showed up and watched him do it. I mean, we were there at the church every time there was something to do. And, um, but I remember as a, about 11-year-old kid, I remember the doubts starting to come in. And boy, they came, they came hard. There were times that my dad would preach or other people would preach and I'd be like, boy, I, I don't have what they're talking about. It's, it's not in me. I don't. And I'm not one of these guys that you got to feel your salvation, but I'm going to tell you something. The Bible is still true when it says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. There ought to be something different. I'm not saying it's emotion or feeling, but there's something different. When you get done putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's something that's there that wasn't there before. Those of you that have been there know what I'm talking about. I remember sitting there thinking, I don't have that. I remember hearing evangelists get up and preach some of the youth programs and chapel services. and Kids come forward and get saved. And they had something I didn't have. And it bothered me. And I thought, man, I'm a pastor's son. Everybody thinks I'm saved. I've told them for years I'm saved. And what are they going to think if I go forward in a service and tell them I'm not saved? I was out with uh, Brother Jim Waymeyer last last week, and and Brother Hiltabittle went to lunch together. I shared my testimony with them, and it's amazing how many folks that get saved at a young age, sometime along their line, begin to wonder they're saved or not and they get reassurance or assurance of salvation but I knew I was lost in fact there was a time when I was about 11 or so when this these doubts came that finally there was a point where I knew for a fact and I there was no doubt about it I was not saved and I used to go to bed and I'm going to tell you folks it started just every once in a while at first I would have a nightmare and I've shared some of that with some of you all before of my parents and the rapture happening, my parents and my sister were floating up in the air going to heaven and meeting Jesus. And here I am still on the ground and I'm jumping and I would wake up from those dreams in a cold sweat. I mean shake. I'd be nervous. I'd be laying there and it'd take me a long time to go back to sleep wondering if the rapture was going to happen while I was sleeping. And I remember the first few times that happened, it scared me and it put a lot in my heart and I... Uh, wondered about some things and the longer I kept putting it off 
the worse those nightmares got and the worse that conviction got. And folks, I look back on it now, and I didn't understand fully back then even what God was doing, but when I, when I got to the point where I realized I wasn't saved, I couldn't get away from it. It was one of those things that God kept after me and kept after me. And boy, let me tell you something. I'm so glad He did. Some people look at conviction and think that's something to be ashamed of. No, no. That's something well to rejoice in. Amen? God's doing something. And uh, He brought such conviction that I remember uh, for nights on end, I, would, I didn't even want to go to bed. I'd be worried about mom and dad being raptured in the night. I didn't care so much about my sister, but at back then I didn't. But, uh, and I don't make, mean to make light of it, folks. This was heavy. As an 11-year-old, you can imagine what was going through my heart and my mind at the time. And I remember uh, we had split chapel at our school on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I remember going on Tuesday, the next chapel service that we had that week. And uh, I remember sitting there Sunday night in the service thinking, the next invitation, I'm going to go forward. I've got to get this settled. And I remembered uh, Tuesday morning, couldn't wait for chapel. They always gave an invitation in chapel. And uh, Stuart Durstock uh, was preaching. He was our school administrator and principal. And he preached a message. I, to this day, I don't know what he preached. I, I couldn't have told you five minutes after he's done preaching what he preached on. Amen. <laughs> kind of like what we were talking about a moment ago. But, but for me, it wasn't because I just didn't care. It was because I was under such conviction. I couldn't wait for the invitation. And he had us bow our heads, and for the first time in a long time, they didn't give an invitation that day. And he did have us raise our hand. He said, if God's spoken to your heart, would you raise your hand? He said, I'm just going to leave it at that today. And my hand shot up, and he said, thank you, I'll be praying, and put them back down. And um, <clears throat> went on back to class, and about an hour later, I got a message to come to Brother Durstock's office, and that was never a good thing in our school. That meant you were in trouble. So I wasn't sure what was going on. I thought, man, what did I do now? You know, I'm the pastor's kid. I get in trouble for everything. You know how it is. Your dad's the pastor of the church, and everybody sees everything that you do and tells on you, you know. And uh, so I went down there not knowing, and he said, uh, he said, Greg, he said, I noticed that your hand was the first hand to go up today. He said, I got back to my office. He said, I just felt like I needed to call you down here. He says, there's something I can pray with you about. And I said, Brother Durstock, I am not saved. I can still remember sitting in his office. In fact, years later, when I went on staff at the church, I got that office. That was my office. And boy, it was a special thing to be able to be in the office where I got saved. And let me tell you, there were some times I went back to the spot. I can remember where the chair was sitting. And I'd get on my knees and I'd say, Lord, thank you. He called my dad in. He'd asked me, he said, would you like me to have your dad come in? I said, yeah, that'd be great. And so my dad came in and the three of us knelt there together. And for the first time, knowing I was lost, put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ 
And I knew I couldn't save myself. I knew that being a pastor's son was not near enough. And as much as my mom and dad made us toe the line, and I mean we could get by with anything, we lived in a glass house and everybody was watching us. And I mean we couldn't even sneeze funny. And we lived a, a pretty good life. But can I tell you, that wasn't enough. I was born and raised in Sunday school and church and Sunday evening service and Wednesday night. Even got to go on soul winning with my dad on Thursday nights. There were activities at the church. We were there. I was there all the time. And yet that didn't save me. I had to be at a point where I realized I was lost and in need of a Savior. There are times in our churches that people will come forward after years of being in a church and say, I'm not saved. And you scratch your head and you think, boy, that's odd. They were active in church. They've been here for years. They've taught Sunday school classes. They've sung in the choir. They've worked on bus routes. They're not saved. I've known of pastor's wives after 20 or 30 years of ministry come to an altar and say, I'm not saved. And folks, one of the biggest concerns as a pastor is the concern that one day I will stand before God and give an account of the leadership of this church and the direction that we take biblically. And while my heart's desire and intent is for the lost of this world to come to a saving knowledge of Him, if all I ever do is focus on those outside the doors of this church and there's someone that sits in our church or our pews lost, I will have been an utter failure. I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation tonight. But I am here to share with you some things that I think all of us, even if we're saved tonight, and let me just say this, if we are saved, it probably won't be offensive to us to hear this again. In fact, it will probably charge our batteries a little bit. We'll probably get excited about it because, hey, I'm saved, I'm there, I've done that. But there may be some folks tonight that are sitting here that have been trusting an awful lot of things. They think they're saved because of certain things in their life. But I'm here to tell you tonight, if you don't realize somewhere in your life that you were lost. If you don't realize at some point in your life that you needed a Savior. That you needed to call on Him and ask Him to come into your heart and save you. Then my friend, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean tonight. I'm trying to be your pastor. You need to get saved. In Matthew chapter number 8, as we get to verse number 23, I want you to notice some things. When he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. Behold, there arose... A great tempest in the sea, 
insomuch that the ship was covered with waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And while this is not a salvation prayer for the sake of eternity, they're speaking of their physical salvation from the ship. Can I tell you this? That statement is a beautiful picture of the simplicity of salvation. For us to call on God and simply say something like this, Lord, save us. Save me. I perish. Calling on Him. Saying, Lord, I am perishing. I don't have a way to save myself. I need You to save me. And He saith unto them, Why are you fearful? And I want you to see this phrase, O ye of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And I want you to notice this phrase. But the men marveled, saying, what manner of man is this? Folks, can I share with you tonight the view of the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ in this setting, how they viewed him? They knew he was a great teacher. They knew he was a miracle worker. They'd already seen those things. To some degree, I believe that there was some inclination in the back of their minds that this was the Christ. And yet, Christ rebukes them here for being of little faith. And he rebukes them tonight, I believe, because of what they did in response to this. In verse number 27... The Bible says the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the waves obey him? We're talking about his disciples, folks. The ones that were near and dear to him, the ones that had followed him already up until this point in his ministry. Out of all the people that were around Christ, you would think these men know who he is. If they knew who he was, if they knew that he was the Messiah, the one that was come to save them, he knew, they knew fully who he was, that he was the Son of God. Why would they marvel? For you see, they had an intimate knowledge of God. They, you might even say they had a love for God. They, they loved, loved him dearly. They were following him. Loved him very much. But they didn't see him for who he was. And they didn't put their faith in Him. And can I say this, that it is possible for a, Christian, a person to know who Christ is, to love Him, to serve Him, but not put their faith in Him. I was trying to think of a way to illustrate. I, I'm going to try to do this. It's not a... It's not a true story tonight, but I'm just going to ask you for a few moments to go through a hypothetical story with me, if you would. Let's suppose that we're a little kid. Go back in your mind. Some of you, that's further back than others, but let's go back in our minds for a little bit. And let's say your mom and dad work at uh, a fire extinguisher company. Man, this is a great invention, isn't it? 
It came out of tragedy, times when things like the Chicago fire would take place and many people would lose their lives in fires and somebody said there's got to be a better way. And so they came up with some ideas of how to make a, something that everybody could have, make it freely available. And let's say your mom and dad worked at, a, worked at a fire extinguisher plant. From the time you were born, you were raised around fire extinguishers. In fact, they became the love of your life. I mean, you just thought they were the greatest thing from the time you were old enough to remember a fire extinguisher. It was beautiful, wasn't it? It had beautiful red. and Boy, just look at that handle. That beautiful design on that handle. The nozzle, I mean, it's, it's impeccable. It's flexible. It's got a little holder here. It's got a nice nozzle on the end. And you grew to admire and even love that fire extinguisher. In fact, it was so great that you noticed pretty much everybody or a lot of people, a lot of your friends had a fire extinguisher. In fact, it was neat because the factory that your mom and dad worked at they had, a, they had family day every week, and you could come to the factory every week and learn about that fire extinguisher. It's really neat. They'd take you on a tour. They'd show you the fire extinguisher, and they would tell you all about it, about its little pressure gauge and its little safety key. And they would tell you all about that fire extinguisher, and your love for that fire extinguisher just grew and grew and grew. In fact, one day when you got old enough to read, the people at the factory gave you the fire extinguisher manual to take home for your very own. Boy, you cherished it. You grabbed that manual and you hugged it to your chest and you thought, oh boy, this tells me all about my precious fire extinguisher. You would read the pages of that fire extinguisher manual and boy, you just knew an awful lot about it. You'd go through it page by page and then every week you get to come back and let the experts, the people at the factory that made the fire extinguisher, they stood there and told you all about it. You, you, you got to love the fire extinguisher so much that you wanted everybody else to know about it. And you started going out and telling everybody, you handed out all these little brochures for the company saying, well, you, you ought to try our fire extinguisher. This is amazing. There's never been a fire extinguisher made quite like this. You became passionate about it. And those that didn't have that fire extinguisher, you would beg and plead with them to put it in their homes in case the fire came. You did that for many, many years. Growing more and more in love with this fire extinguisher. And then one day, you wake up in your house to the smell of smoke. And there sits your fire extinguisher beside the bed. Oh, what to do, what to do. There's smoke billowing up from downstairs and I'm going to perish if I don't do something. The flames are already licking at the door and coming in through the floorboards of my room. And what am I going to do? Oh, my precious fire extinguisher is there and it's for me to have and to use to save me from this great, great travesty. And yet I sit there on the edge of my bed Believing this fire extinguisher to be the very best. Believing it to be beautiful and I love it so much. But I never reach out and pick it up. I never pull the safety pin and squeeze the handle. And the fire comes up. And I burn to death in the fire. 
The investigators come to the house later on. They said, boy, I don't understand. This, this person loved fire extinguishers. They were raised around them their whole life. And they saw them. They read the manuals. They went to the, every week to the factory to hear more about these fire extinguishers and how they worked. Why would they do it? There was one sitting beside their bed and all they had to do was reach out and take it and trust that fire extinguisher to do what it was designed to do. To save them from a fire. And I imagine people would sit and scratch their heads and wonder why. Why did we never trust the fire extinguisher? Oh, we believed in it. We even loved it. We'd been raised around it. Our moms and dads made sure we went to the fire extinguisher factory every week. Our moms and dads made sure that we'd sit around the breakfast table and read the instruction book for the fire extinguisher. Oh, I love that fire extinguisher. I loved its pressure gauge. I loved the little certification on it. I loved the handle. I loved the color. And I loved the fact that it was made for me. So that I would not have to die in the fire. But yet when the time came. It sat there beside my bed. And we sit here tonight. In this hypothetical story. And we would think. What a waste. How could somebody. Who believed in the fire extinguisher who loved the fire extinguisher and saw it and had it right there. Why could they not just trust it? Why could they not just have faith to believe it would do what it said it would do? Folks, it's a made-up story. But it so clearly illustrates what can happen in a Christian's life. Because the fire's coming. There's no doubt about that. And God has given us a way of escape. And we may believe that that way of escape exists. In fact, we may love that way of escape. We may go every week to the place where we meet and talk about that way of escape. We may even teach a class telling others how they can use this way of escape. We may sing songs about it. We may cherish it. But my question tonight is, do we trust it? Do we reach out and take hold of it? And say, Lord, if you're not going to keep me from hell then I'm going to perish. You're my only way of escape. I put all of my faith in you, all of my trust in you, that you will do all that you said you would do. That if I would come to you and ask you to save me, the disciples said, Lord, save us. We perish. I don't mean to put anybody on the spot tonight. 
But I wonder how many sitting in this room, and you don't raise your hand right now, but I wonder how many would say, Brother Greg, I too am like you were. You knew about God. You loved Him. You went to church. You sang the songs. You were in the Sunday school classes. You went on soul winning. But you, you were lost. I know this is our Sunday night crowd, but folks... There's two things I'm not sure I could bear. One is, I don't know that I could bear watching those that I love here tonight be cast into the lake of fire. I have a hard time with it. And the second thing is, I don't know that I could could endure realizing that the reason you were cast into the lake of fire was because I didn't do enough as a pastor to warn you, to share with you, that all we've got to do to be saved is put our faith in Him. I'm not saying you've got to believe in Him. The Bible says even the devils believe in God. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that it's just loving Him. For you can love something that you don't put your faith in. I'm not saying that it's going to church or teaching a Sunday school class. Folks, tonight, if there's not been a time in your life that you realized you were lost, that you realize there's only one thing I can do, And that is put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I tell you with a broken heart tonight, but with a heart that's pleading with you to get it settled, you're lost. I can't see your your hearts. I can't see who's saved and who's not saved. But one thing I know is the way that Christ said we have to be saved, if we've not done it, we're not saved. heavy on my heart because I don't want to see anybody in our church die and go to hell. Having sat under the preaching and in the pews of this church, in the Sunday school classes, my question to you tonight is, I'm not asking you if you love it. I'm not asking you if you've been raised around it. I'm not asking you if you go to church all the time. I'm not asking you if you know all the religious terminology. I'm not asking you if you know your Bible. I'm asking you tonight. Has there been a time and has there been a place where you you knew you were lost and then said, Lord, I'm trusting you to save me. I'm putting my faith in you. I'm asking you to be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins and give me a home in heaven for all of eternity. And I promise you this, Satan is the great deceiver, isn't he? For months, months, I was 11, 12 years old, that conviction began to come. For months, I would not set foot out of a 
pew to come to an altar and get saved. I wouldn't talk to my mom and dad about it when I got home. You know why I didn't do that? Because Satan had me convinced, Brother Keith, that people would look at me and say, well, our pastor, he must not be much of a pastor if his 12-year-old, 13-year-old son is not saved. Boy, I tell you what, that, that Brother Greg, he sure has put on a show for an awful long time. He's acted good. He's done right. Trying to make people think he's a Christian. And Satan put those thoughts in my head. And conviction got so great that I couldn't last any longer. I said, Lord, I can't do this. I hope pray that if there's someone in this room tonight they would get that matter settled tonight and I promise you this, that devil's an old liar if he's putting in your heart well what would people think because I'll tell you what this group of people would think we'd rejoice in it we'd be thankful that sheep that has been lost is now found that coin that was lost has now been found. Don't put it off. You say, Brother Greg, I can't believe you're trying to get me to doubt my salvation. That's not the key at all. I'm not trying to get you to doubt something that you have. I'm just saying, do you have it? Has there been a time where that's happened in your life? If there hasn't, then you need to get it settled. And we'll rejoice with you in it. Can we stand together please with heads bowed and eyes closed? Father, we're so thankful for your word. Lord, I don't know how, how much plainer to try to make this. I ask that you would do a work in the hearts. And Lord, if there's someone here tonight that's in this condition, the condition I was in for almost 13, a little over 13 years of my life. Lord, I pray that you would allow your Holy Spirit to bring such conviction that they can't get away from it. Lord, I don't mean that as a mean-spirited way. I mean it because I love them and I don't want to see them die and go to hell. Lord, would you bring conviction Open the eyes of understanding. Help their hearts to be illuminated with the truth of your word. That the light would turn on. They would see these things and get them settled. Lord, I pray that you'd do a work in hearts tonight. There may be one. There may be two. There may be a half a dozen. That are in this shape tonight. Having a form of godliness. But denying the power thereof. Those that would say, Lord, Lord, only to hear you say, depart from me, I never knew you. Lord, I pray, not under my watch, not under the time that I'm pastoring, Lord, help there not to be any time that I've not done all that I could as their pastor to show them this truth. And that they would come to a convicting point through with the Holy Spirit that they would see that need and get it settled. 
Bless the invitation tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. I know it's a Sunday night, and I know it's our hope.